0: Are you ready for episode 111 of the Divorce Resource Guy podcast? This episode, we're talking about post-divorce finances. Are you ready? Welcome to the Divorce
1: Resource Guy podcast with Jason Lavoie, aka the Divorce Resource Guy. A former divorce attorney turned divorce coach, talking about all things divorce, including the good, bad, and the ugly from an attorney's point of view. Remember, you're not alone. And now your host...
0: Jason Lavoie. All right, welcome to this edition of the Divorce Resource Guy podcast, episode 111. Can you believe it? We are trucking along here. Today, I have a good guest with you, a special guest, Hollis Hardiman. She is a certified divorce financial advisor or analyst, CDFA for short. And she both firmly believes in building a support team of divorce professionals, including attorneys, mediators, and therapists that can help her clients make the best decisions during these emotional times in a divorce. Hollis provides financial retirement and wealth management services to her clients she specializes in helping people navigate major life transitions, such as divorce, the loss of a spouse, and preparing for retirement. And today we're going to be talking about post-divorce finances and what you should be thinking about when we're talking about post-divorce Finances, right? So let's get to it. Welcome, Hollis Hardiman. Hollis, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you on. Thanks, Jason. It's
1: great to be here.
0: So, um, for those listening, it's not going to help them, but when uh, the video gets posted up, uh, you're, you're like pretty in pink today. I like that. I
1: <laughs> I, I feel like you know sometimes this this conversation could be a little dark and gloomy so I tend to try to dress in some bright colors to keep keep people uh smiling and feeling positive
0: <laughs> no I like that it, it, it's, it's vibrant and that's what we need a little vibrant when we're talking about divorce <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> um so I'm gonna ask you the same question I ask everybody um, when I start and that's for people who aren't familiar with you give everybody a little bit of idea about your background and and the path that you took to get to where you are today
1: sure. So my background um, is a little different. This is my second career. My first career I was in um, management and retail and um, I love what I did. It was successful, but I did feel like I was um, there to do more um, with, with working with people. And my father actually had his own CPA firm. So I had had this like numbers thing in my brain and I was always calculating and budgeting and, and doing, doing things. And, um, you know i got to a point in my in my early 30s where i was like you know i i don't feel like i'm doing what i'm passionate about and my parents had had a horrible divorce in in the 80s it was war of the roses all those good movies that oh, you know no. we saw back back then and my life was my childhood was really about all about divorce uh you know go back and forth to court paying alimony child support a lot of talk about money exchange And I was like, wow, like women, you know, my mom was a stay at home mom and I saw my mom having to ask for money all the time. And I was like, you know, I didn't even know that I was making that conscious decision for myself, but I was like, I never want to ask anybody for money. And so I was just thinking about, you know, how, what kind of job could I have that would help me, you know, continue to be independent and be passionate about what I do. And I was like, I actually want to help women feel independent about their their finances and not feel so intimidated by it and if there was somebody that was like me that could have possibly helped my mom 25 30 years ago you know maybe our life would have been shaped a little different financially so i got into i took all my um series sevens and 66 become a financial advisor and i decided to get into the divorce a, a niche because I just felt really passionate about it. So I started meeting with therapists and mediators and really building up a network on how I can help people through this process because I've, I lived it as a child. So I knew what the damage it could cause to children. And at the end of the day, you know, the, these two people need to learn how to communicate and how can I help that? Mm-hmm. And what I also realized was everything was about money all the arguments it really wasn't about the parenting and the discipline it was all about the money so it was how can i help people get through this part of the the process without so much fear
0: yeah who's the rapper that said it's all about the benjamins
1: oh yeah yeah am i dating myself (laughs) probably but i'm there with you
0: (laughs) (laughs) it was somebody right all right
1: (laughs) but yeah it's it's always about it's always about the money and um Unfortunately, that leads that leads to fear, which could lead to attorneys and high bills. And I was like, maybe some people just need somebody to educate them financially to catch them up to speed on how this works. And maybe it won't be so bad. So that's yes. how I kind of grew my business and formed alliances in the in the community. And so what I do. So I have a financial advisor and then I have a divorce consulting business, which is where I have a lot of focus.
0: Yeah, no, you and I are very similar, actually, in what we do uh, in the divorce space, because I'm all about educating and empowering people with, you know, information that I feel they should know, even if they have an attorney or not, because oftentimes, when they do have an attorney, they don't, they don't know it at the level that I'm spitting it out. um, And I think they they need to. And so, uh, yeah, I'm all about the education, too. So, you know, I definitely feel you there. The... So quick question for you, because I'm somewhat familiar with how, you know, difficult it is to, you know, become financially certified and and take the, I think you said the series seven, it is, I think my younger brother just took that test. um, And that was a hard test. I think it took him three times.
1: Yeah, it was, it was very hard and coming from a world where that was not my language, it, it, it's a whole nother language. So it's definitely challenging. I give people a lot of credit when they do it.
0: <laughs> yeah, he came from teaching, right? And he had no finance. I, I, was, I, was,
1: I actually worked for Enterprise Rent-A-Car. I was a district manager and ran multiple locations. Um, So I was in management and sales and zero to do with stocks and bonds and portfolio management.
0: <laughs> I, I give people like you the utmost credit to do that. I don't think... I don't think i could do that frankly with no background and just hitting the ground did you have to get sponsored for that or no
1: yeah so i worked at um one of the well i started at, at wells fargo and um they basically helped pay they paid me while i trained and, and studied for the test oh, that's great and um and then they sponsor you and you know i was there for a little bit and when i realized I took some, some coaching courses and I was like, what, where's my passion? Like, I know it's here somewhere and someone had come to me and it said, why don't you work with therapists in the divorce arena and help people through the divorce process with financial planning? And unfortunately, a lot of those big banks, they don't let, you, they, they want you to just bring in assets right? and they're not really focused on the planning and, and the help that I wanted to do. So I found a woman um, who I work for, still work with Lori Price, and she had a boutique firm and she had been um, running workshops, free workshops um, every uh, one Saturday a month. And it was uh, women contemplating divorce. And so we've been doing this for eight years now and we do it now. We do it over Zoom and during the work week and it's me and an attorney and we basically give just free advice on what to start doing when you're in the divorce process or even thinking about it. We'll have special guests with therapists and from there, I was like, this is this is my this is what my passion is is really helping people through this process. So I've been able to have the luck of doing both the financial advising and the money management as well as a lot of the problem solving advi- you know with with the divorce and therapy and, and all that.
0: Yeah, no, that's great. I mean, you, really, you do have a, a comprehensive background and, and I love what you said. You know, we were joking about it's all about the Benjamins, but it's true. You know, when minor children aside, and you could appreciate that personally from your childhood, but I always tell people you have to treat the divorce like a finance, it's a business transaction, really. Um, yep. And if you can do that, both sides and keep the emotions at bay that's the best way and the most efficient way to kind of get through the process.
1: Absolutely. It's just, it's it's almost, it's a very hard task to have people do. Right. So the best advice I can give is to build a profession, your your support system of professionals, because they're the ones who are going to keep you in line with taking the emotion out of it, because your friends and family are very emotional for you (laughs) and you have to have the right professionals surrounding you to keep you keep, Keep your focus on the business aspect and not the emotion.
0: Objective professionals, right?
1: Objective. Yes. Yes. Very important.
0: Friends and family are great, but they're not objective.
1: <laughs> no, no. And and I always say they're the great ones to cry to and, and and, and you know, complain to. Don't waste your money on doing that with the professionals because um, <laughs> they, you know, that's not what you're really paying them to do. So, um, so true. And, and listen, divorce, I, I compare it to surgery, right? You go into surgery and your, your doctor says, whatever you do, do not make any emotional decisions. You're going through a trauma. And yet when you're going through a divorce, it's a trauma and you're sitting there and you have to make these big life decisions. And it's unfair because in any other circumstance, you are told this is not the right time to make a big decision. And I'm yet so- here you I'm-
0: are. No, yeah. I didn't mean to interrupt you. But I'm so excited that you said the T word. Trauma. Because Tra- so many times people talk about divorce. Um, and nobody brings that up. That it's trauma. It really is. It's a traumatic event in your life. And and so it affects you like any trauma wo- would. And you have to kind of be aware of that. And, and you know take the steps to surround yourself with people who can help you deal with that professionally and so yeah i've been saying that i've been using the t word a lot more recently um and then i was like all of a sudden i i'm getting it back and so i love it
1: <laughs> yeah and, oh and and you know i read articles that some people can call it like the big the capital t or the little t because you know there's different forms of trauma but this is absolutely a, tra- a traumatic event it's a traumatic event for your children whether or not they're Seeing what's you know what's going on behind the, the the scenes. it's 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 absolutely a lot. and it, it's a lot is expected of you as you're going through this this time,
0: absolutely. So before we get down a black hole that we can't get out of,
1: oh, yeah, exactly let,
0: let's, let, <laughs> it was just so easy, <laughs> yeah. uh, especially right. with me. let let's let's steer back to today's topic. We're going to talk about post divorce tips, right? Yeah, so tell me why. In your opinion, it's so important to, to focus on post-divorce because so often I'm talking with people about the divorce and what's going on yeah. in it and preparing for it. And so oftentimes what gets neglected is the post-divorce, but it shouldn't, right?
1: Well, no, because all of that work, time, effort, energy, money, tears have gone into formulating this this plan this dec- this divorce decree this legal document and now and you and now you have it and then people tuck it away and don't look at it again and it's like you just did all this work all of this work and so much energy and now you need somebody if, if you can't you know help yourself with it to say there's stuff in this post in this agreement that we now need to go back and address and make sure is done to protect yourself moving forward because you just worked so hard at getting this agreement
0: and hopefully I always say you know uh, if it's a, a contested divorce um, where there were a lot of issues and assets and things to be dealt with that um, that agreement, right some people call it settlement agreement, a divorce agreement, whatever it is, that needs to be pretty comprehensive And, and usually when I was practicing it you know it could be 50 plus pages easy um and so when people sometimes say oh no i have a few pages i cringe um because there's a lot of stuff that's probably missing in there and and i always tell people you know th- those agreements spell out what happens in case of um a problem after the divorce that's the first place you go it's well what does that agreement say right um and right. it better address it
1: <laughs> and i mean and there's so many actions that need to be taken post-divorce i mean and we go into some some tips a little bit but changing your beneficiaries right on on your accounts um do you still want your ex to to inherit things that that may now be your assets um you've worked really hard to get this division right and now it's like you want to make sure that they go to the right people and the way you intended to so there's a lot of yeah, and there's a lot of paperwork and things that go into post-divorce, and people just don't want to deal with it. They feel like they've they've done it all; they're done. Um, a big one that I find a lot with my clients is they don't even sometimes know that they're owed money on certain future dates. So there may be where you have um, your ex may have restricted stock options, or you know any type of um, deferred comp that is due, and you may get a percentage of that. Well, the chances of them calling you and say, hey, it's been two years. I just got, you know, this this big bonus because my stocks vested are pretty are pretty slim chances. So, you know, what I do is I go through the divorce decree and I've got everything calendarized out. So it's like, hey, Mary, you know what? You need to call up, you know, your ex and say, hey, this amount is due to me now. You know, when can I expect it? (laughs) Because it's really important to know what's what's
0: coming your way over time. Let me ask you something on that real quick, because I, there's different ways to skin a cat, right? Do you find that the, a lot, the people that you work with, that that's the case a lot of times where things are, have to be addressed in the future, whether it's, you know, stock options, pensions, 401ks, whatever, that the person you're working with, the receiving spouse, we'll call them, um, is relying on, their ex to tell them or to give them the money versus I know there's mechanisms like quadros and things like that, that people do after the divorce, um, to split those accounts. So the money is already in their name and they don't have to deal with their, the other person, right. Cause they don't want to deal with it.
1: Right. I mean, yes, a lot, because, you know, and I'm sure you've heard of, you know, doing true ups where the two parties are supposed to exchange tax returns to make sure that maybe you've gotten everything that you were supposed to get. And most of my clients don't even want to ask the ex for the tax return. Yeah. It's too computational are we're, we're, you know, things are going good right now. He's he or she's going to think I'm just trying to look into their, you know, what's going on in there with their income. But that's really the only way to know if you're getting, paid what you're supposed to be getting paid and or what's being deposited into your account via alimony is, is accurate, especially if you're getting, you know, percentages and, you know, how, how do you know if it's right? You're just, they're just counting on, on that spouse to, to put it in their account.
0: I want you to talk about this for a second, because why I may know what it is. A lot of people listening probably do not talk to me about, um, true ups, you know, what that is and, and how that works and and why there would be a situation why, when after the divorce, somebody would want to see what their spouse is making or be entitled to see what their spouse is making. Right.
1: So more and more, we're seeing alimony being paid as like a percentage of a spouse's income. So let's just call it just for even numbers, 50%. You're supposed to get 50% of their income. Well, and and they may very well be giving you 50% of of their income. Well, they, a true up is basically once a tax return is done, which is very often in these cases, usually put on extension, because we're talking higher earners that may have partnerships or K-1s or different tax forms that may come out after, you know, April 15th. So we're talking about a true up is receiving the other person's tax return looking at their income and making sure that you receive the appropriate amount of percent of their income that you were supposed to receive. A lot of people fall in tranches where maybe they get again, for just even numbers, 50% of the first $500,000 of income, and then 40% of the next 500 to a million. So they rely on their ex-husband to potentially do that calculation and how do we know that that's right? You know? And so the only way to really do it is after the tax returns are complete, whenever that is April or October and go through and make sure that you in fact got the appropriate percentages that you were supposed to get.
0: Yeah. And that takes time. Yeah. I, I I always hate, um, situations where that's the case. You have to rely on your ex to give you accurate information or, or do something. And especially with tax returns, you know, I'm a skeptic, I guess, cause I was a divorce lawyer. I, I'm, a, I'm just a skeptic by nature, you know, that depending on what the business is, if it's, you know, their own, own business, you know, if it's a W2 employee, that's easy enough, but right. if it's, you know, they own their own business and there's, you don't know if they're filling out that tax return properly, you know, are there,
1: are there deductions for their charity really, the deductions for their charity.
0: It's it's the same fight that you often have during the divorce about, you know, valuing a business and the income, you know, and, and you know, for this case, let's say we're working with the wife, you know, she says, oh, it's a million dollar business. And he's saying, no, I'm making $40,000 a year, right? It's that same struggle to exactly. well, what what is it? Um,
1: and I think the women, at least they don't want to deal with the confrontation again. And just asking for that tax return is potentially a trigger
0: it's a trigger for the trauma
1: yes right exactly exactly it's a trigger for the trauma for one or both of them and to the exchange that information is is personal but it's been agreed upon prior in the divorce agreement that this is going to be done so it really shouldn't be um a trigger but but it is and so it gets avoided and more often than not, potentially, you know, we don't. If we don't know, we don't know. But yes, I I don't think that people do that enough. Yeah, that,
0: the That's that's a, a really great point that you brought up there, and I think the moral of the story for today is that if you're getting divorced and you enter into some sort of agreement where you have to regularly monitor whether it's annually or semi-annually, whatever you know, your spouse's, your ex's income, because that's going to be contingent on what you get for support. Um, just understand that it's going to be an ongoing thing. Um, right. and You may you may want to have a conversation with your attorney, assuming you have one, about structuring that another way, if possible. Because I always say, you know, you want to limit the communication that you have to have with your ex after the divorce, right? You're getting divorced for a reason, so the right. more the more that you two have to communicate and do things uh, for each other, the more problems are, are like. And
1: that's why I say blame it on me, right? <laughs> like I'll, I'll be the person to ask for the you know the tax return and ask, ask for the exchange and I'll do the, the numbers and figure it all out. blame it on me. It's that time again, you know whatever. but there's what's interesting is even the high earner, I have a situation, where there may be the in this case the higher earner was the husband the spouse is, was the the not the home stay-at-home mother had a safe harbor which means she could only make up to $50,000 before the alimony started to decrease well he he ha- did not have any confidence in the world that she would ever hit that so he never asked for her tax return and she's now made a whole career for herself and makes $100,000 a year So she's not going to him and saying, oh, guess what? I should take a deduction in my alimony because it was agreed upon that anything over X amount should be reduced. And he had no faith in even asking for her tax return, thinking that he could have reduced his payment. Mm. So it goes both ways. (laughs) It does.
0: It does. That's for sure. Um, And already, you know, in my mind, it's like that's too much. It's just too much for people to... To want to deal with, I want to, I want to get divorced and just move on. Right. Um, right. You know, give me whatever you're going to give me and, you know, go with God. But yep. uh, yeah, it, the more things that you have to deal with asset wise for the future, that that's just more important that you have somebody like Hollis on your side to help you. Uh, Right. So you don't even have to deal with it on the front lines. Absolutely. Yep. So Hollis. Okay. Oh, yeah, go
1: ahead. No, no, no. Go. I was just, I just can't not mention life insurance either. That's something that often gets dropped. You know, it's in the, it's in the agreement X, you know, each party may need X amount of life insurance and nobody follows up on that. And that's, that's a, that that could be a, a big, big, huge financial loss. If something happens to either party, even the stay at home mother, because her job is worth probably $120,000 a year i've read recently if you put in you know laundry and cleaning and cooking and driving and that spouse has to now maybe pay somebody to do all those things yeah and so both parties should absolutely have some type of life insurance if they of course qualify for it and it should be followed up and make sure that that gets taken care of because that's a big risk prevention step right there
0: and the absolutely I'm glad you brought that up because that that's huge. And oftentimes um, your settlement agreement will mention life insurance and, you know, both people within, you know, whatever, 30, 60 days of the final degree of divorce, you know, have to get and obtain a policy, but they don't do it, whether it be, not always intentionally, but, you know, they just, you know, you don't wake up in the yeah. morning and say, oh, it's life insurance time. But right. <laughs> And, um, but the 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 agreement really should have language to say that, you know, when you do get the policy, you have to exchange the proof of that with each other, you know, within such amount of time. Um, I'm
1: not even opposed to the wife or husband paying for the other person's life insurance to make sure that it gets paid and it's not defaulted you know, I'm not even opposed to which party pays for who, as long as it's it's done. If if one spouse is like, I just don't want it or I don't want to pay for it. I always say to, let's say the wife, well, maybe we can put that in your budget because it's important for him to have it. And if you need to pay for that annually, let's figure out what that looks like, because it's, we, we, we need to budget for that.
0: Right. Or each person ideally should pay for their own. Um, Uh,
1: Of course. But
0: but but then show proof, you know, annually that it's still an active policy.
1: Still in force. And and sometimes you can be a third party, you know, on the notification and be let and be known, be notified if it's about to be defaulted. So even, you know, there's definitely ways to, to ensure that. But again, so many people don't even follow up to make sure it was ever purchased. They forget about it. don't think about
0: it on both sides no yeah i and i get it because again who wants to think about life insurance but um if it's something in a worst case scenario that you will need to rely on you better make sure that it's there um and then and then you could just you know forget about it again (laughs) but (laughs) so Hollis, these are some really great tips that i'm glad you brought up today about people following up once the divorce is over um, we have a couple minutes left here. What would you say would be a biggest piece of advice for somebody uh, who's getting divorced, as as to what they should focus on or or do after?
1: Without being too biased for what I do, I think it's having a financial plan. You know, what does your future look like financially? What happens when the child supports declines and or drops off? What what happens when the alimony stops? What is your plan and how, 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 how can you live with how long, what can you spend without outliving your money? Right. Um, That's what, you know, one of my, my old boss always taught me, like, that's what people are concerned with. How much can I spend without outliving my money? And so putting a financial plan in place and really understanding if you're going to have to go back to work, how many years does it, will do you have to get a certification or get your computer skills up to date whatever it is so that when that alimony ends which it, it will um what does your future look like so i am a huge proponent of a financial plan post-divorce
0: yes and and the moral is just have a plan right for life have right. a plan you want to do things intentionally and not you know just have things happen to you and react to everything absolutely exactly Alice, yep. where can people find you and learn more
1: so um I um can be reached via email, uh hardeman at meritfa.com. I work for Merit Financial and I have offices in Florida and Connecticut. So um you can email me directly. I do offer a 30-minute consult to any of your listeners who may be interested. Um and my phone number if it helps. Uh, I don't know if people direct dial anymore if everything's email
0: uh You're but like, it's 203- well, 203 this will be a test Two
1: o three four two three five nine eight five. someone said to me their date does anybody call anymore i'm like i don't know
0: <laughs> this will be a good test for that
1: exactly i'll let you know how it goes
0: And I'll put all that information in the show notes if you're listening and you can't write it down right now. And do you work with people only in Connecticut and Florida or other states?
1: No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm lucky. I get to, I can work with people all in every state. Um, I've got clients, a lot of clients in California as well, and I'm licensed everywhere. So, you know, the divorce rules vary legally, obviously, but the finances, you know, they, they pretty much are what they are in, in any state. So.
0: Yeah, no, just like me as a coach, I can I work with people nationally too, um, because I don't focus on the state law differences in uh, getting divorced. It's the same issues no matter where you are, so I think that's great too. Hollis, that was awesome. Thank you so much for being on the show, and hopefully, people will reach out. and You know, you are definitely a member that they should have and consider on their divorce team.
1: Thank you so much.
0: All right, there. I hope you enjoyed the conversation with Hollis, and if you are working on your post. divorce financial life, which I hope you are, um, Hollis is definitely somebody who you can lean on for some help and more information if you need it. If you're looking for help with your divorce, reach out to me, Jason at jasonlavoy.com. I will respond to you. I offer free strategy calls to figure out what's going on, what you should be thinking about doing and to see how and if I can help you. Also, if you like what you're hearing, subscribe to the podcast, leave a kind review on Apple Podcasts if you can, and that would be greatly appreciated to help spread the word. In the meantime, all I'm going to ask you to do is be strong, act confident, and stay positive. I'm Jason Lavoy, aka The Divorce Resource Guy, and I'll be seeing you real soon.